How's it going, guys? I'm Zeke. I'm Jake. And you're listening to the Cinema Sideshow <laughs> Podcast, episode 59. Jake, what was that? Um, I was re-listening to an, a really old episode of ours in the in the tweens, and we sounded very unenthusiastic in those episodes. Oh, really? Yeah, it was like, how's it going, guys? I'm Zeke. I'm Jake. Welcome to... And then now it's like, we're super amped. I was like, let's bring it back. No. It's no? It sounds sad. Aww. It makes you sound sad. Also, I'm not very really, really sad. I always sad. thought that that's sort of how we've done it. Like, no, it was. I mean, I don't think we intentionally did it flat. I wonder when we morphed into like hyper energy, like probably we can figure this out because it feels like a stinger at this point. <laughs> That's sort of how I go for it. Right? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I could cut that. How's it going, guys? Line. I actually thought about that. That we could just cut in when you say episode. And then just use the same soundbite, and then you just say the number because it feels like it. I think yeah, you. Yeah. I think I'm a little bit more like like bite worthy because you tend to change it a little bit. So I change it a lot. I try and be unique. Yep. Sorry. Like like today it didn't go very well. No, that <laughs> one you just called me out on it immediately. Yeah. Well, hey, hey, Bim Bud, I haven't seen you in a whole twenty four yeah, hours. Yeah. Well, we we haven't caught up that much this week. I feel like, or did we? Am I going crazy? I don't know. They all meld. Yeah, I can't even tell anymore if, like... Sometimes we go, like, a whole week without seeing each other. Like, yeah. we do the show, maybe we see each other once, and then we do the next show. And in other weeks, we see each other, like, virtually every day. Yeah. But I just... I don't even remember... You bleed into my life so much, Zeke. Oh, thanks, buddy. Uh, I literally... I don't even know. I Sometimes I don't even know what the day of the week is. Right. Like, that comes with working. <laughs> yeah, when you work as much, you're just like, oh, yeah, this is another day. Yeah. Same stuff. Well, I you're mean, now... You don't work weekends anymore. Nope. It's so pretty that's, chill. That's that's handy, I'm guessing. Yeah, a lot more time to watch movies. Like, mm. the, the thing is, I feel like the only variation I have in my life is the movies I watch. Which, <laughs> boy, is there a <laughs> there, variation there this week. There are variations... Yeah. But, um, yeah, we passed, um, what's it called? The leap year, February 29th. I know, I forgot this was a leap year. Yeah. So those who were born in 2000 turned five yesterday. <laughs> Congratulations, you fiveies. Yeah. I, was, I don't remember if I was saying it to you or saying it to, to a mate the other day, but we went to, it was like a school field trip in primary mm-hmm. school. Is this the one I told you about? No. No. Um, and we met an author for like this, oh, it was the fish... You know the scaly fish? Oh, rainbow fish. Yeah, yeah. We met the author, and she's born on the 29th of February. That's pretty sick. So she was only like four years old when we met her. <laughs> I feel like if I have a kid in the future and it's like, you know, we're in that labor stage on the 28th of February, I'll be like, uh, and there's, be a potential, there's a potential yeah. leap year on the line, I'll be like, come on, just hold it in. For <laughs> just to the leap year. Just relax. Just relax. Well, Maybe I, I slip like a fiver to the... The doctors to be like, I, we were born on the leaf. He's just going to look at you like, what are you doing? <laughs> I, did, I did some research because like, why is there a leap year? I didn't know. So I did it. And it, it's to do with the calendar. There it, is sort of this lag of time in the calendar. So every four years, you have to correct it. Yeah. So yeah. technically every year should be 365.25 days. Yeah. But um, yeah. So there's an extra like six hours. Yeah. I don't like that. How about a New Year's Eve every year? We celebrate at like 23 hours and 58 minutes. Then we say Happy New Year. No, because it would have to be... that New Year's Eve should only be an 18-hour day would be the correct resolution. Oh. Oh, you mean if we're going to restart... Go six hour, we go six hours over. So Right, so if we were to stack up the whole year's worth of lag at the right at the end... Well, that's what they do. Then... They stack it up over four years. Yeah, over four years, but if we did it over one year, you're right, it would be, what, six hours? Six hours. 
So we'd celebrate, yeah, at 6 p.m. Yeah. Happy New Year. That that suits me better, though, because then I can go to bed at 6.30. It made it pretty easy. Like, like it's incredibly easy, Jake. What's well, just an extra day? We just have an extra day every four it's years. It's not bad. It's not bad. Well, semantics excited. How many movies did you catch <laughs> in the last week? Um, I caught a bunch. We could start with you if you want this week, because you've got some doozies. I was going yeah. through your letterbox yesterday morning. I was like, "What the hell is wrong with you?" <laughs> yeah, I'm, I am. I am losing it a little bit. Yeah. Um, so I think we've both come to the conclusion we're both at 86 films this year. Yeah, yeah, roughly. Um, I like it. I think you're at 90 something with shorts. 98 with shorts included. Um, but features, I've watched 86 features, and a lot of these have come in the last couple of days. Out of I like to play a game. I don't know if I've talked about drink to I'm cringe. I'm sure you've talked on about the it. show. We've talked about swipe on the show. Okay. So surely we talked about um, cring- drink, drink to cringe. Yeah, and had a couple of nights with various people, um, and I've managed to catch some films that I don't think I'd ever catch sitting alone. Um, <laughs> See, that's what I thought you had done when I saw your letterboxed. No. The films you're about to mention, you watched them by yourself in a house. So I've given out a half a star, a one star, and a one and a half star, and a two star. <laughs> so I've done wow. the four lower scores you can give on Letterbox. Um, so I caught... What are you, a troll? <laughs> Not for these films, no. Um, so I caught Fifty Shades Freed, which is apparently the third That's the installment. third one. <laughs> yeah. Haven't seen the other two, and I probably will <laughs> this year watch the other two, just to say I've watched all three of them. Oh, um, God. So many drink to cringe to come. Um, you still haven't seen E.T. No. Nah. All the Goonies, but you've seen... 50 it's on Shades Netflix, Free. Goonies. I was this close oh, to watching it. You were this close. Haven't got there yet. But you pick 50 Shades Free first. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to go through all the really bad ones so I can talk about the good ones that I saw this week. Gotcha. Uh, I managed to catch also The Fanatic last night. Oh, you did? Yeah. Oh, I wanted to see that. That's okay. We can watch it again together. <laughs> it was another drink to cringe. Uh, Horrifying. Volta, you poor, poor boy. I mean, I know I know the whole plot of the film because I've seen so many people yeah. talk about it. So I know how it ends. I know what happens to him specifically. Horrifying. It's, <laughs> it's so weird. But it's so funny. But it's oh, so horrifying. Um, I caught Skyscraper. Like a, like a little Limp biscuit. Skyscraper. The, yeah. Oh. So the Dwayne Johnson uh, action flick of 2018, apparently. Yeah, that, I remember the trailers for that. That was something. That it happened. was substanceless trash. Things made no sense. Mm. The rock smolders. Um, was that a was that a play of words? No, no. Um, <laughs> it just wasn't. Just ended up being. It's like. Bleh. Um, and then this is probably the most curious one of the lower star ratings I gave curious out of the week. George. Okay. Um, Pokemon Mewtwo Strikes Back Evolution. Right. Can I tell the audience right now? You weeks or months ago. Mm-hmm. I think this is when you were away, we were texting. You almost said you wanted to do this as a film of the week, leading into its release. This one? Yeah. Because they said they're remaking the first Pokemon film, and you said we should do it for film of the week, and I was like, hmm. I'm glad we didn't. <laughs> that would have <laughs> been, that actually would have won Style Popcorn, easy. Oh, there you go. I reckon it would have beaten, uh, so, was it Lion King we ended up beating it too? I do love the original Pokemon film. Oh, I think I? a lot of people do. Why does this one fail? The animation's shocking. Okay. Like, it's a weird sort of, like... Well, it's 3D, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah, so that, that's the only difference. There are literal... It is literally, in so many ways, in so many sequences, shot for shot, the exact same uh, film, but... It's The Lion King, then, of, of this generation. There's some, like, crazy, like, weird, like, almost, like... I guess because I wasn't a big fan of Lion King 
younger, when I was younger, I'd right. seen it but wasn't a huge fan of it. So when they talked about the shot for shot, I didn't notice as much. But whereas okay. with this film, I did. Right. Like the opening five minutes, I was like, this is the same movie. But the problem was because <laughs> of the the style, the animation style, a lot of the scenes became very flat and very sterile. Yeah, yeah. I didn't nearly have the dynamic lighting that often 2D animes do have. Um, particularly some of those like mid to late 90s um sort of like I, I picture you i remember a lot of Yu-Gi-Oh and then a lot of of pokemon having that kind of really dark like some more darker themes it was quite dynamic the animation style okay but this just was it felt like a ds game came to life oh, and had okay. this there was weird mouth animation movements i don't know if they literally just took the lines from the original film because it felt like they did is it the same voices yeah Right, I guess they've been doing the voices for a long time, but yeah, and I mean it would make sense to take them, but the 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 the, the way it just the animation style made it yeah. horrible. Like, and it also the big thing was who I was watching it with. We both just came to about thirty minutes, and we just were like, "Why? Why does this movie need to exist? The, the other film's only twenty years old, and most of the literally the whole show, mm. even to kids of today, has been." That 2D animation style. It's been cleaned up a lot, but it's still, but it still mostly the that, two yeah. the 2D animation style with the occasional sort of departure from that, but predominantly right. still in that 2D style. So I don't understand it's why this film exists. unnecessary then, yeah. Yeah, so it sucked. But that sucks. I remember, I because I was very young the last time I watched this, but the original film I'm talking about, it was, yeah. it was like 2000, yeah, I think. No, no, 2000 was the second film. Oh, I guess but it's just the first film, I, I think, 98 or 99. But I remember the start. It starts with all the Pokemon sort of on this island, and there's like this whole... Yeah. Is that yeah. that's part of this film too? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Mew, Mewtwo has an island of clone Pokemon. And... Oh, is that what that is? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's really sweet. I remember getting it from Blockbuster. Oh, yeah. On the Back weekly. The that and Yu-Gi-Oh! the movie were the two that I got the most. Never watched Yu-Gi-Oh! Never cared for Yu-Gi-Oh! Or um, Digimon. Yeah, I never really cared about Beyblade or Digimon or any yeah. And just, just Pokemon and Yu-Gi-Oh! All that stuff. Pokemon and Dragon Ball Z for me. But immensely disappointing. Mm. I didn't realise how many other ones they have on Netflix too. Oh, like the I, uh, Pokemon I, movies? Yeah, I used to watch all of them too. So, But it's kind of funny. I, was, I, made, I made a joke. I was like, man, Crunchyroll must not be making nearly as much money as they used to because I felt like they were the sole proprietor right. of all of these properties. <coughs> Jesus. But ever since Prime and... <laughs> I'm dying. Prime and Stan and Netflix, they've all r- sort of become these Disney monolith-esque. In terms of the distribution. Yeah. Yeah, getting out there. That's fair enough. Yeah. The, I don't know. Like, I mean, I'm sure Crunchyroll has access to more limited, smaller anime releases. But I'm the, sure they have their audiences. Oh, for sure. Somewhere. Like, they're, sure. they're surviving. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully. Yeah. I don't know. But that so, rounds off all of my really negative reviews from the last gosh. week. So which one of those got the two stars? Which one survived Two the best? was the Pokemon one, Okay, I really like the original. What was the half star? Uh, the half star was definitely the Fanatic, with Fifty Shades <laughs> Free getting one, and then one and a half for Skyscraper. Okay. Because I couldn't fault Skyscraper's visual effects. It did have some pretty sweet visual effects. Okay. Um, uh, it's just the plot was silly. Of course it was silly. Yeah. I mean... He's got a prosthetic leg and he's like jumping. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Jumping around his prosthetic leg. I don't know. Like, what did I expect myself to get into with that film? I mean, I, just, I remember I remember when that film first came out, Skyscraper, they were doing this whole like, oh, look, we're, we're abiding to people with physical disabilities and represent. I'm like, yeah, but you can't have The Rock do that. 
No. If The Rock loses a leg, The Rock could still do stuff. He's The yeah. Rock. <laughs> and, I mean, I watched it with uh, someone that does have a prosthetic leg. Right, So gotcha. it's sort of like, you know, he's just there, like, he's doing things. He's, he's just there like, for like, huh? Yeah. That was his reaction? Yeah, pretty much. That's pretty funny. So it was pretty cool. But, uh-huh. um, yeah, what, back over to you, bud. Yeah, okay. So I've been uh, mostly watching films from my 100 to watch poster. That's okay. up in my bed. So I'll rattle through these quicker because these are a lot of classics. I don't really need to talk too much about them. Yep. They're, they're classics. So I like The Machinists with the super, super anorexic Christian Bale. That was a fun film. There was I loved the, the, the color grade and how sort of moody it is. It reminded me of Insomniac, which... He is an insomniac in the film. Oh, insomnia. Yeah, but in but style stylistically, it also reminded me of insomnia, and I actually liked it more than insomnia. Okay. Um, although I thought insomnia was very like, yeah, it's, it's fun, exists. Okay. Um, I watched in Bruges, or I think it's in Bruges. It's it's a plural in the no, title. It's in Bruges. Yeah, they call it Bruges a million times in the film, uh, and I was really excited for this because it's uh, Martin McDonagh who did Free Billboards, one of my favorite films ever, mm-hmm. and. This film lives up to the hype, and I know you would love this film way more than Free Billboards. Oh yeah, it's a, it's been on my list to right. do for a while. Um, this film very much takes itself a little less seriously than mm. Free Billboards, which it feels appropriate because it's about these two hitmen, uh, very comparable to the two hitmen from Pulp Fiction. But um, they just sort of they have to hide out there. But then there's all these I don't want to say wacky, I wouldn't call it wacky the plot, mm. but just their dialogue and the their, the way they speak and it's so funny. But okay. it's also like really well crafted as well. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't want to talk too much about it because I want you to watch it. Yeah. It's a really good film. Yeah. And uh, very violent when it wants to be. Yeah, so of, I've heard. Yeah, not like the hardcore Henry-esque violence, but like like when someone falls off a building, <laughs> they don't hold back what happens to that person, <laughs> you know? <laughs> but um, I really dug that film. A film, this might be a bit of a hot take. Okay. I watched the original Halloween, finally. John Carpenter's The Halloween 1978, I believe. Yep. And this is the only one I've seen next to the 2018 sequel that you and Jack watched together. Yep. And we were very high on that sequel. We loved that sequel. Well, th- those two are the only two in that canon. Like, yeah, now in the canon. Those are the two most important ones. Well, yeah, all the yeah. other ones don't count. Yeah, yeah. Literally been so, deleted from canon, yeah. Yeah, so I might not bother with those others. I've seen the two, I guess, important ones now. Yeah. Uh, canonically speaking. Um, I Look, I appreciate everything the film does. The budget was like... Zero. Yeah. <laughs> and they made like nearly eighty million off that. So mm-hmm. like and the and the way they work with their low budget and uh like creating creating that character, uh Michael Myers. I, was, I appreciated it. I didn't really enjoy the film all that much. Okay. I thought it was you seen it, yeah? No. You have okay. the original. Okay. It's very so in the opening scene, that POV. Oh yeah, that sequence. I mean that show that scene sh- shot. Jesus, God, I'm rattling through all the film terms here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that shot in particular, yeah, that's a great shot. We've seen it in classes and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Um, but it sort of jumps into. I'm trying to think of the best comparison. But you know, you have got Jamie Lee Curtis's character, who's a babysitter, and again, I appreciate how much tension building they're doing with her being the babysitter, and that her and her friends are going from house to house on the same street, mm-hmm. and Michael Myers is just always there, always watching. <laughs> But it takes a very long time for anything to really happen. And I don't want to be that guy, oh, there's no action, nothing happens. And it's like, but nothing actually happens. And at the end, there's a few deaths, but you don't even really see the deaths. Yeah, so, and that's probably, that's due to budget restrictions. It's budget, and again, I appreciate it, but I didn't think, I thought the 2018 film was better. I think it, be better. it's tough to switch off, and it's always going to be tough 
to switch off the the time travel dial in the sense of like you yeah but you gotta, I've, you I've got... seen other films made around that time and and they again budget you're right I don't it's think budget. I've watched many films with a lower budget, budget than this but I mean two years uh, later Alien comes out. And has some pretty gory stuff, but they also had a budget to surplus it. Yeah, so. but even the tension building in that, I didn't even mind it as much. Like, them taking as long as they do for the alien to start doing shit. I, I don't know. It just it, It's a me problem. Yeah, I respect the film entirely, but as its own film, I don't enjoy sitting down watching it. Mm. I've got to watch... I've got to basically burn through those 70 slasher horrors. I've got to go through yeah. doing the original Halloween, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Mm. I've got to watch that, and I've got to give... Uh, Friday the Thirteenth to watch. Yeah, I still haven't seen Friday. And the Elm 13th. Street. Elm Street. I think that's eighties, but Elm Street. Oh. I f- fucking love those films. Okay, so um, I've, I've, I've only seen a few of them, but I hate horror. So I try and I've still got to watch the Quiet Place before Quiet Place Two comes out. Right. Oh, you haven't seen Quiet Place? No, nah. I've got on Blu-ray sitting on my shelf. Nice, nice. Just cannot haven't got I, to it. Yet. I watched it in the worst conditions. So I'm happy to rewatch it. I didn't mind it. I thought it was yeah. fun. I know some people were really hyped for it. But... Yeah, it's just it's that sort of. Sort of feels weird, like, because yeah. I know a big part of the first movie is going to be obviously not seeing the aliens and the second trailer, like, the, the film trailer for the second one's got them, oh, like, in right. the first two seconds. I, if I recall, because they got, like, a little prologue that leads into the title sequence, I think you get a decent glimpse at the monster okay. in that prologue. But... This is going off a guy who hasn't seen the film, so sorry if right. well, I, 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 I was never bothered by what the monster looks like, you yeah. know? Um, I was... That's what I like, though. About other horror, I mean, we, we could always tie back to Alien and the way that they right, really yeah. slow burn that, and they show you potentially the fully grown xenomorph, like yeah, prior yeah, to actually they're... seeing it in the film, and I really like sort of that. different stages as well. Yeah, like as it's, it's going, really I, sweet. Yeah, like I appreciate Halloween. I just I'm not. I'm just gonna say I didn't quite enjoy it watching it myself. We had a really um, good cinema for the 20, 2018. That was a good. That was good condition, yeah. and I went in pretty low expectations mm-hmm. on that. So I was shocked at how good that was, and I'm happy to rewatch it now with the context of the original film and Jamie Lee Curtis's mm-hmm. character. But when I just the second one coming. What the third? The one next one, on, yeah. um, probably this year. Yeah, it'd be this year. Or following, think. yeah, it's probably this year. Yeah. yeah, okay, yeah, that's exciting. Um, a couple of others I watched from that poster specifically was uh, Gladiator. I finally watched Gladiator. And, what did you uh, think? Um, yeah, it was good. I sort of I put it in the same uh, the spectrum as like those other epics. So I wrote some down in comparison, like you know when you look at Gone with the Wind or Titanic, like those are just epic films. They and sort of and it, they sort of feel like studio epic film rather than epic. You know what I mean? Um, like, look in at, a way, I still felt Ridley Scott's voice. In Gladiator, to an extent. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're right, those kind of epics, especially in that time, because this was right around the time of Titanic. Mm-hmm. Not very. F- uh, I also put uh, Gangs of New York. I appreciate that film from Scorsese because of its epicness in that way, mm-hmm. even though I don't have a huge personal tie to it. Um, but no, I, I really enjoyed Gladiator. I liked Russell Crowe, Joaquin Phoenix. He's I always forget Joaquin Phoenix is in that. Like, yeah, yeah. I feel like I watched Gladiator prior to, like, my walking love train gotcha, leaving gotcha. the station. And I'm so. on the other end. I've seen all of the his other films, basically, and yeah. then watch this one. Yeah, okay. He's good in this. Like, his voice work is excellent as well. Like, he doesn't sound like Joaquin Phoenix. Nah. So That's him. Yeah, yeah nice. he's, he's great. He's transformative, they say. Another one, uh, and this is interesting because I actually saw this 
through the Murdoch Film Club that they've started boosting up again at Murdoch oh, University. Okay. And my friend Joe Ash, uh, well, you know Joe Ash as well. He's, I think he's co-president for this club and they're doing weekly screenings. So every Wednesday they're going to do a different film. I think next week, or I guess this week, if you're listening to this, they're doing Parasite. But last week they did Office Space. That's a film I haven't seen before. I was meaning to watch that. that oh, it's fun. It's like I mean, a cubicle clerks. I, I was about to say, I saw. I think I saw your letterbox review and I was like, that sounds like a film that I would enjoy. It's very fun. I think Jennifer Anderson's in it and she's... That definitely sounds like a film <laughs> I enjoy. But she plays... There's something about her. She's always in like those real middle of the road films, but I can't... I always... I mean, it's that... It always comes back to Friends, right? Like with her... It, you right, like you always comparing her to Friends, is that what it is? I mean, I haven't even watched that much of Friends, but obviously mm. she's so associated with the Rachel character yeah. that it's it's the same thing that a lot of them... Like, I know Ted Mosby, the guy who played him, Josh Radner, he's in this new Amazon Prime series with Al Pacino and stuff like that, but it's like you can't get... Like, you look right, at it and you're just you like, bro... take it away. You're yeah. Ted. You're <laughs> Ted for nine years. Yeah. Got pigeonholed. So, but um, no, I really enjoy. I would, I would love to hear what you think of this film because it is fun. Mm-hmm. It's, it's quirky. It's sort of, it reminds me a bit of like early Coen Brothers, where it's, it's wacky, but it's not like too over. Like it's not as wacky or as fun as the Big Lebowski, but it's definitely comparable in terms of sort of the, the plot and how things play out for the characters, mm-hmm. and they're all fun and enjoyable and. So you yeah. saw that with the film club? Yes, that would have been last Wednesday. So that was a that was that was fun. Got to watch a little crowd. But um, so yeah, if you guys want to know more about that film club, Murdoch Film Club, just find them on Facebook. All the information's there, and it's chill. I don't even go to Merc anymore, and I'm like, hey, hey guys, I'm kicking around. I made that joke because they were all like, oh, who are you? I'm like, I'm the old guy who never leaves the university. <laughs> we'll see how long that lasts. Well, but I think um, it's on Prime Video. Oh. There you go, which, which uh, we'll play into uh, later in the show. Ah, yeah, there you go. Well, um, yeah, I think we watched, it. we rented it on YouTube. Well, they they would have done. I have no idea what. The oh yeah, thing. you can rent it on Amazon for three ninety nine. Ah, there you go, perfect. Now I've got a couple of others, but I'm happy to bounce it back to you. Okay. Now that we're in a different sort of category, if you will, tell me about the Gooder films. The Gooder films. The Gooder films. Some good English there, buddy. Thank you. You're writing a feature I'm a, I'm script. I'm a writer. <laughs> um, so apart from the film of the week, which obviously we'll talk about later in the show, I did see two other films that were uh, no three films. One was fine. The other two were good to pretty good. Okay. Um, Interesting. So I finally got to finish Sleepless in Seattle. I know I think I might have brought it up on an earlier episode, um, okay. but I never managed to get it through completely. I think I watched the first 20 the minutes. Stuff. Got to the end, it was fine. It was like not even, it was okay. not peak romance. Got Meg Ryan, Tom Hanks. It was like Tom Hanks was playing, you guessed it, the happy. Oh, God. You, have, great... you have this Tom Hanks thing going down. <laughs> Just saying. Um, it was fine. It's like th- that flat three, you know, isn't a three star like the greatest safe score to give? Yeah, you have yeah. no problem with the film. Yeah, but you didn't... can't, you can't, um, you can't go wrong for free. I gave Halloween a three star. Yeah. So. Can't, no one can destroy me for that. However, I, think. <laughs> I had two films that uh, I did feel pretty positive about. Okay. Finally got to watching, uh, I think this might be the latest film from Paul Thomas Anderson, um, which I'm sure will do. I a, think you're right. A uh, feature film? Feature film. You might be right um, on that one. Oh, yeah. I think, yeah, because he did that short. He did that Netflix thing, I'm pretty sure. It was like sure. 18 minutes long. Yeah, you're correct. Um, I think this might be the last feature from him. I'm sorry if that's incorrect information, <laughs> but... Uh, Phantom Thread. Ooh, Phantom Thread. Um, 
So I've also had this sitting on my shelf for ages. And yeah, I just I've been was, meaning to watch this too, yeah. I just was like, okay, maybe this is the time to watch a P... Because I really like PTA. Like, I think he's he's got consistently really good films. I just mm. never... He never comes to my mind when he probably should. Right, um, yeah. He's not like the go-to director, but he does pump out which, amazing <laughs> which stuff. Which I was about to say, it's weird to think about it because it's like, oh, Phantom Thread, There Will Be Blood, The Master, mm. you know, Magnolia... Boogie Nights. It's got a good uh, resume that's right like, there. That's a, that's a lot of... Uh, Punch Drunk Love, which is on my list to watch. I still haven't seen that either, um, but I'm looking forward to it. Adam Sandler. Yeah. Um, looking forward to seeing another good Adam Sandler film. Mm. Um, I'm sure PTA will come up in a future uh, Director's Corner. Yeah, yeah. This is this week's a Director's Corner. Oh, uh, sorry. Next week, rather. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, we're not doing... Not doing him... PTA next week. Spoiler. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it was really good. Obviously, Daniel Day-Lewis is Daniel Day-Lewis. Um, Can't go wrong. He's really... Um, his, uh, you know, his supporting cast was <coughs> a really good... Uh, the person who plays Alma in the film, Vicky Creeps, and Leslie Manville are both really good also okay. in it. Um, not one of my... Fa- not my favourite. There Will Be Blood is still my favourite from mm. him, and followed by probably Boogie Nights. I just love Boogie Nights. There's something about it. I, th- I think that's one of those films that you just go back to and you watch and you're like, oh, it's just so perfectly casted with like a whiny Mark Wahlberg and <laughs> Burt Reynolds is really good in it. Everyone's favourite version of Mark Wahlberg. Uh, so yeah, it wasn't my favourite from him, but there was nothing wrong with the film in any way. Show. It was really good still. Cool. But what a surprise. A PTA film's good. Um, <laughs> and then of course, I actually managed to catch a... a I've been bringing up Amazon Prime stuff recently because I've actually kind of branched away from Netflix and been pushing more into the Amazon Prime yeah, yeah. video. You, you will learn why later in the show. Um, but I managed to catch the, I think, the third film done by Adam Driver last year. He had three big films last year. Okay. Um, he had uh, Marriage Story, which was yep. one of our episodes, episode 46. Six. No. 47, I think it is. 47. I think you're right, 47. Um... And then he obviously had Skywalker, Rise of Skywalker, oh, for yeah. 49. Um, well, he's in it, yeah, yeah. He's uh, in a lot of films there last he year. He had a big last year. And, of course, I actually caught the report, too. Oh, nice. I want to see the report. Yeah. What film did you think? Well, he's in uh, Patterson. <sighs> yeah, and he's, he's also in the Jim Jarmusch Jar- zombie that's film. That's the other one I needed to watch. Yeah, um, he's, in a more, he's in more than three films. <laughs> so maybe i got to go back and watch another one from him. Uh, yeah, so I'm I curious the... about the report, yes. Uh, I enjoyed it. Um, really good uh, use of what feels like a relatively small budget. Um, mm. And it was a really good sort of stake film. It sort of felt a little bit... I, I enjoyed it more than The Post, but less than Spotlight. And it sort of right, feels like so it's like sort it's, of in that vein of films. Yeah. Investigative there's a, there's journalism. A, there's a scandal. and yep, yep. Um, It takes a different route. He's not a part of a, a post office like Spotlight and obviously The Post. Okay. Um, he's actually... He works for the FBI and he kind of uncovers documents that lead to how interrogation methods were used following 9-11. Um, of course, they weren't all legal and ethically correct. <laughs> what? I never. Um, and, of course, it leads to this big sort of, uh, like, forum and, and a lot of, like, back and forth. But his performance is, you know, it's, it's really good and it's another one of those sort of showcase, another one in sort of the portfolio of good performances for him. Yeah. Um, it's not as good as things like Marriage Story um, in the sense of his 
own personal performance, I think. Um, I think he's got less to work with in this one than he does in yeah, Marriage see, Story. Yeah, this is definitely isn't like a flashy performance, I wouldn't imagine. No, no, it's definitely not. Um, but definitely an enjoyable, tight 100, 100 minutes. Mm. Real in like real easy 100 minutes to watch too. Well, easy in the sense that... Like it, br- it brushes by? Yeah. Whereas mm. the post, I felt like I was dragging my feet sometimes. Gotcha. So... How many films like that where like they're 90 or 100 minutes and they feel way longer than the three hours epic sometimes? Yeah. Yeah, Crazy. absolutely. Um, yeah, Editing. so that's all I got except for the film of the week. Cool. Well, um, I got two other films uh, I want to talk about in sort of separate context from just the classics. Eight. Um, so the one... We've been talking about this a couple of weeks in the sort of coming soon to cinema section. I finally watched In My Blood It Runs, which uh, for those who <laughs> haven't been listening to the last couple of episodes, it's a, a, a documentary feature about a, a indigenous boy who's he's 10 years old. He's a healer. He's bilingual, but he's failing in school. <laughs> So I was really intrigued by this uh, concept. I saw it at Backlot last Friday. Okay. Right, that makes sense, because we, we both went to the same pub, but we missed each other on the same day. Oh, yeah. So yeah. I would have left, saw this movie, when you would have just been arriving. So some individual timelines going yeah, on here. Because I'm a good boy, and I drink at three in the afternoon. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, who's actually in the wrong there? Oh, exactly. Um, no, but yes, I, that's when I caught it, and I quite liked it. I I can't really call this film false advertisement because it does tackle what the logline promises just mm. in a more broad sort of way. Yeah. So I was kind of hoping like, oh, we're going to get this really uh, dedicated story about this specific kid and then the, the education system around him. And it's a bit more of a broad exploration in terms of just the Indigenous culture in Australia and especially in schooling and how it's sort of been you know, kicked out, and mm-hmm. I mean, they don't address it, uh, but it reminded me a bit of how, you know, when we were in primary school, there's a, you know, you have the big Christmas sort of showcases at the end of primary school, and yeah. towards the time that we started leaving, and towards like the 2008, 2009, they started omitting that because of the different cultural boundaries mm-hmm. of all the kids going. Remind me a bit of that in the sense, and there were some great moments. I actually caught one where one of the teachers is like reading a book, and it's about the dream time, and it, you know, we, I'm sure we both had those classes where we learned a bit mm-hmm. about that indigenous culture and she's actively laughing about how ridiculous it all is. And then it cuts back to the kid as well. And I'm like, man, what a, what a bitch. <laughs> yeah, that's a bit, but it, that was sort of the general package of what I could tell you. No teacher ever laughed at when yeah, they yeah. taught me that stuff, but yeah. all right. No, well, that's the thing. It's like, it feels like a forced conflict. Did it feel like well, artificial? No, I think it wasn't like on the nose. It just, the only thing is like, oh, they had a camera in there. Mm. So she just seemed to have absolutely no awareness of the camera, which is a little suspicious in that sense. And it's a very observatory doco. The the only even inch of like a reflection or a voice or anything is when the kid's trying to read a report and the, the camera person has to read it to them because the language is a little too advanced. Mm-hmm. But other than that, it's very observational. So you kind of just have to go for what you're being shown. But that was a very specific moment in what was otherwise, I think, very sort of thought-out exploration of that, of, again, we're losing the Indigenous side of Australian schools. Uh, They're not being forced to learn their own language anymore. They speak English, but they don't speak their own language. So I thought it it was good from that point on, but... I was a little disappointed that it wasn't as focused as I assumed it was going to be walking in. Mm -hmm. But that's that's my fault. It's not like like I did a lot of research on the film going in. Yeah, but, you know, I get the whole false advertising thing. It feels like you're... 
I feel like a log line should not be too broad unless it's intentional. And in a documentary, I feel like it's got to be a little bit more yeah, uh, pre- if, even precise. If it, you're right. If it just had something like, you know, a further exploration to like... The, you see, I can't even fault it. That's the problem. Mm-hmm. So it's a good doco. Um, it was weird as well. I, I made a note of this because I was when I was watching it in Backlot, uh, they had a lot of kids at the screening and they were like... Some of them on their iPads. This is all on the first row. Some of them on the iPads, and they were doing cartwheels and talking stuff. And I was shocked at how little it affected me. And you know me, Zeke. Mm. You know how annoyed I get in cinemas when people are messing around. Dude, that pissed me off. But there was just something. I don't know if it was the lighting mm-hmm. in 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 the the theater, or if it was I don't know what it was. But they were like the least annoying annoying kids. Mm. Like, how could someone be doing a cartwheel in maybe front of the screen? Maybe you had a few too many beers and you'd ah, actually... <laughs> you're on the merry, the merry juice. <laughs> you never know. Now, this next one, so uh, I want to say local. It's a Melbourne film, I believe. A uh, film called... Ob- uh, you know, <laughs> it's just like a, I, my brain is falling apart, Zeke. Yes. I'm like looking at my screen. Probably and, not a good thing if you're going into the film of the week soon. <laughs> that's true. It, it shouldn't fall apart. Uh, Observance is the name of the film. Okay. And so this is a 2015 psychological horror. I think it was directed by Joseph Sims Dennett for 11 grand. So we know people who've made features for that, roughly that amount of money. You. Um, Yeah. I was talking about like broken, but... (laughs) Yeah. But but you're right. Within our circle, we know people who've worked with this kind of money made feature films. Yeah. Um, Especially more than the 47-minute capacity that I've had to deal with. But Mm -hmm. that's all right. Um. I had a friend, a, a, a fan base, being like, hey, just check this out and tell me what you think, because it's obviously it's in my ballpark of, of budget. And it's interesting, because it's just such an example of how bad writing can trump everything else, because in terms of the film was shot fine, uh, like, in terms of the pacing and all that, like, everything seemed fine. And the first half an hour, I was super invested, because it's mm-hmm. about this sort of investigative journalist, or a PI, rather, who essentially just gets a call saying, uh, camp your, we'll pay you to camp out in this building and we want you to just spy and log what the girl across the street is doing. So he's spying on this girl and it's a perfect low-budget setup. You're in this house, you've got a little bit of you know, dirty gear, but there's the sci-fi element where he, all of a sudden he's getting scars in his body and he <laughs> goes for a shower and he's in pain uh, and it's super intriguing. And then you get to the end and it's just super disappointing and, and boring. You're like, uh but again, that's that's more of a script. But you were pretty calm a... with it. You gave it two and a half. I gave it two and a half because the first half was so intriguing and so well done. Like it, it reminded me of Better Call Saul. Some of the visual storytelling. Hmm. When I said the other week about Joker, how it has dialogueless scenes, but they don't really replace them with any visual interesting things to do. It's a pretty cool poster. Um, yeah, no, it's a great poster. But unlike with Joker, the 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 silent scenes in this film actually does have visual storytelling. Like when he's setting up the bed and he's setting up his thing to spy on this girl, like it's all shot very interestingly. Mm. But it's just an example of like, no matter your budget, if your writing's not great, it's not going to hold up. So I was very, it was very unfortunate that the ending really knocked me down on that one. But I want to talk about it because it is a local film sort of in our, in our facility budget wise mm-hmm. and all that. But yeah. Well, there's some intense reviews on it too. Oh, people were not kind <laughs> in no. Box. I think I was a little kinder because I thought the, the first half was like genuinely really well done. Uh, it's a shame, but it happens. Oh, it's a cool gem you found, though. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, st- I still got to tell I still gotta tell my friend what I thought because she totally like, Jake, check this out. And it's been two weeks. I still haven't <laughs> reported back <laughs> my thoughts. Yeah, but, um, you really, yeah. I can just link her to this podcast. 
Yeah, so <laughs> just go to this timestamp. Yeah, just listen to me talk. No, it's, it's really yeah. cool. It's cool you managed to get that one in. I found out that I Am Mother was directed by Australians. This is an Australian film. I Am Mother? Yeah. The, the Aronofsky film? No. Which no. one? No, no, no. The, oh, the, sorry. The Netflix one. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it was by Australians. I, didn't know. I feel like I might have known that, yeah. but I forgot. Yeah, well, like, that was a like shame. We like our visual effects, which I've noticed. Like, between that and, like, Upgrade and now Invisible Man. Right. Now and... You know, Ted? Ted got their animation outsourced from Australia. There you go. Seth MacFarlane, Maybe come here. we just here. like our visual effects. It's really weird. Yeah, we do good stuff here, I guess. No worries. Would, would you like good. to move on into the uh, career part? Do you have anything Absolutely. Else? I have a few things. Okay. Oh, no. I know you have something that I think you're... Ready oh. to talk about yet, or uh, maybe, maybe you can, maybe you can maybe tease soon. it. Maybe soon, yeah. Hopefully, okay. okay. Um, maybe well, an episode sixty surprise. Ooh, coming up soon. There you go. Yeah. For me, I've, I've just been chipping away at the scripts that we've been talking about. Mm-hmm. Uh, no information. Actually, I just put that little um, the boomerang post on Instagram of me flicking through like the printed pages. You haven't, oh. you haven't seen it yet. No, I w- disappoint. It got it got some traction. Just surprised. It's got way more like. Uh, what's the? It's not likes anymore, because on Facebook you have the different reactions. So it's engagement. It had more engagement than my posts usually do. But uh, yeah, reaching page eighty on that, which is insane. I'm probably going way too long. You can tell me Zeke when it's all said and done. Oh, I, I will. How bloated my script is. <laughs> oh, so it would have been on your story, not yet. No, it's on my. It's on a. I did a boomerang and then made an just a normal. It's on Clicker. It's on oh, the. It's on the Clicker page. I should, I'm yeah, looking at the wrong one. Um, no, and just working towards more gigs, I guess I can clarify that later, but it's interesting because as of right now, it has officially been a year since the disconnected premiere. Yeah, go there. There it is. Since, yeah. Pages. Makes way more sense now. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying now? Yes. Nah, it's cool. But yeah, a year ago, the disconnected premiere, that was, I just thought about it, I was like, that's insane. If it a year. That's crazy. It's been a year. Yeah. Like, whole year. <laughs> what have I done in the year? <laughs> uh, no, no it's, 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 I mean, obviously, it was a it was a big night. Yeah. That uh, didn't have an after party. <laughs> well, you guys had an after party. Nah, we went and had a drink. We didn't realize that. Uh, I wish I, wish I knew that. where to go on that one night. Because what happened, I'm not going to name any names or call anyone out, but I got a little, um, what's the word? Like, sidetracked. Yeah, I got sidetracked. Someone was like, hey, Jack, let me show you this thing, this thing. And w- once once that was done, I turned around, everyone had left, <laughs> including my family, <laughs> to drive home by myself that night. Everyone disappeared. Uh, no, it was a great night. I was re-listening to um, the our episode seven podcast, which was mm-hmm. been the one after the premiere and the first 10 minutes, we talk a bit about it in detail. That was nice. Little, like, we relived that, you know, what's the word? We relived the night energy was all up there it was cool mm-hmm. still gotta do it again gotta finish this script yeah is that um, what they say hard cut to a year from now and you have the X film in the you never know you never know now before we leave our career section yeah I didn't want to bring this up at the intro but I think this is the best part to mention it okay uh, there's a lot of podcasts I've been sort of noticing arising uh, so in terms of you listener your creative sort of career updates I have some podcasts I want to recommend to you quickly if you want to get your filmmaking skills up to snuff. Yeah. So if you listen, that's not us. 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. If you want to hear us trash a bunch of films, we're your go-to. <laughs> no, well, the reason I is because these are from the people who actually work on these respective shows and films I'm about to talk about. So if you go on the, let's see, the Lionsgate Unlocked podcast, there's an episode called A Cut Above, which is uh, Ryan Johnson talking about the production of Knives Out on SoundCloud. Okay. So you can go find that. I haven't heard it myself yet, but that's what I understand it to be, so that's very exciting. Mm-hmm. And I've been getting back into my now the Better Call Souls back on the air. I've been listening to their they do inside a podcast. And they've been doing it since the second season of Breaking Bad. Mm-hmm. So if you go on Spotify, Breaking Bad or Better Call Soul Inside a Podcast, they have episodes for every single show they've done on Breaking Bad and Better Call Soul. And they've got two episodes on El Camino. And that dives into the production, the post production, the acting and um even like the Breaking Bad ones. Like they would have Vince Gilligan and Brian Cranston on most of the shows. So it's really cool. If you don't want to do the DVD commentaries, that is an additive extra. So um, a lot of cool insights on how they do produce and shoot the show and everything. So There's plenty of cool podcasts out there. Yeah. No, I'll always recommend Film Spotting. Film Spotting is a good one. Film Spotting's great. I like it. Yeah. You get some real good coverage. They get some really good interviews on there too, particularly yeah. their extra content. It's really yeah. good. I've been calling my boy Scorsese. He hasn't answered any of my calls. Yeah, I've been calling the Safties. They're just not, oh, not keen. God, these guys, man. <laughs> Unbelievable. They'll get back to us. I'm sure Ryan will get back to us. I need to uh, talk Ms. to him about last, last Jedi. You want to talk to him about Last Jedi? Nah, I I'm talked to him sure, about sure Knives would, Out, to be honest. I'm sure he would love to talk to you about the last year. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sick of talking about it. No well, worries, well, you. if that's all... That's it for me, sir. No drama as well. It's that time of the week. Oh, Film of the week. excited. But Jake, what are we watching? This week, guys, we're watching Honey Boy. I see you. Contrary real hard, be a 12-year-old. Pie fight. Ugh. It's not a pie fight. Think it through. What's your mother got a job for? Just in case. In case what? I don't In case know. you fail. In case it don't no. work out. Yes, no. man. She's filling your head full of fear. I pump you full of strength. Because we're on a team, and I know you got what it takes. You're a star, and I know it. That's why I'm here. I'm your cheerleader, honey boy. When 12-year-old Otis begins to find success as a television star, his abusive, alcoholic father returns and takes over as his guardian, and their contentious relationship is followed over a decade. This film came out in Australia on the 27th of February, so very contemporary. Very contemporary, uh, It was absolutely. directed by Alma Harrell. This is, I believe, her narrative feature debut. Look at that. Boom. At that. I, saw, I saw that earlier. I was like, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, and uh, it was uh, written by Charles Leboeuf. Cher LeBouf, my boy. Uh, who had... When was the last film he was in prior to this? Well, he was in The Peanut Butter Falcon, to be fair. Yes. Which is very recently, but... Also this year, but prior to both those films, I think he took a little hiatus after... He took a hiatus, yeah, definitely after, like, Transformers. And, oh, he was in Fury, that's right. And, um... I feel like he... And he got a lot of, uh... uh scrutiny for that, because of his... For his, Fury? You yeah, sort of the way he was acting on set. Oh, right. Okay, that's behind-the-scenes drama. Yeah, stuff. yeah. No, I feel that. I think, yeah, it's very interesting because this is very openly a Shia LaBeouf sort of self-exploration of his childhood and his relationship with his father especially. And mm. watching this, it was like, yeah, this feels pretty, like, brutally honest in areas. Um, and I think, I think the direction and the writing, especially in certain elements, and I'll get to those later, is really, really well done. Um, I want to give a shout out 
to the true Miss Americana in the world, mm-hmm. Miss Sarah Politsky. Politiski. Politiski. Jeez, I stuffed that up on the recording. Sorry, that's Sarah. A, that's all right. She's going to oh, hear this. Yeah, well, she? she hooked us up with uh, Amazon Prime. Yeah, so... And the VPN. <laughs> if you have been following us, we are very poor student graduates of film. Yes. So we can't afford to go to theatres anymore. No, but it is true. Uh, Sarah hooked us up with her Amazon American VPN account, of which Honey uh, Honey Boy is on. Yeah, so, so we didn't have to pay a cent. There you it. go. But we can rest our conscience. Well, your girlfriend had to pay all the money. No. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, she paid for the, the VPN. She paid for the thing. So <laughs> someone paid for our ticket, Zeke. <laughs> yes. That would be accurate. That's the <laughs> um, Not necessarily us, but someone paid for our ticket. Um, yeah, like... Obviously, we've been recommending on the show, get yourself a VPN service because you can then kind of maximize your streaming services because mm. by switching regions, particularly Netflix... Well, you just get a bigger library. Yeah. 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 And then you get more bang for your buck in sense of Bucking your butterball. subscription. Mm. Um, it's definitely helped me out a lot with this challenge of being able to get hold of films that otherwise I wouldn't be able to get. Because right. admittedly, particularly in Amazon Prime, they've been trying to hoist it in Australia, but it just... The the, the choices here suck compared okay. to America. I've had it for a little while, Amazon Prime. I've since gotten rid of it, but... Mm. Yeah. I've just I I look at the Australian version of it, and th- after switching it to an American VPN, the I mean you saw it the mm. amount of options that are available. I mean I talked about the report earlier in the show. There's a couple of oh, other was that, ones in was there. That on there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, there's a couple others on there. I'm very keen to talk about. Thanks, in the Sarah. Upcoming weeks. <laughs> <laughs> um, and this film was also on there, which was really, really handy because it meant that yeah. you well, know we, we got to sit on the couch and watch it together. Yeah, exactly. And kind of know. talk it out and yeah, yeah. And you know, you, you that way, you know, you're still helping them out, and you know, you're not pirating. You're finding an alternative avenue in order to Absolutely. watch the film. But if you don't have an American girlfriend, you have to go to Luna for this one. Sorry, yeah. guys. <laughs> I mean, I would have gone. I would have gone if that was the only option, of course. Yeah, well, I, I, I always like going. To, I like going by myself lately. I'm sure I talked about it in the show. Mm-hmm. I just like I want to move it by myself. Yeah. You don't have anyone to talk to after that. That's the problem. Yeah, but I think sometimes that could be a good, good thing because it means yeah. you're sort of internally digesting. That's true. That's true. Especially if the other person doesn't like the film and you like the film, and the debate mm. isn't really a constructive debate. It's more just you Wah! suck and you suck. And, yeah. Is that um, what we do when we walk out of movies? Sometimes you I think we do. Sometimes we have like shit. If we walk out of a movie with Jack. <laughs> oh, um, we uh, love having him on the show. Don't though. watch Jojo Rabbit with Jack. <laughs> um, but honestly, uh, positive take from this film. Mm. It, was, it was a lot of fun. Um, it, I found it really funny that uh, the younger casting of Otis was right, in Noah Jupe. Was in uh, Wonder. He's Jack Will in in Wonder. Yeah, he's in and Wonder. He's, he's, I think, uh, Christian Bale's son in Ford v. Ferrari, I believe. Could be wrong, mm. I'm pretty sure. He's in A Quiet Place. We just talked about that, actually. Yeah. So this kid is working. And I think it's funny because he's never been, I would say, arguably the lead character. I would argue he is the lead character in this film between him and the older version of Otis and, of course, Shia LaBeouf. I think he is the lead in the film. Yeah, I would say Lucas Hedges doesn't have as much to do in this film. Yeah, he doesn't have... His arc is complete, like totally necessary mm-hmm. to cut to his arc and what he represents in terms of Otis's sort of uh, character arc. But you're right, I think I think the kid, or I think Noah, 
gets the meat of the 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 film because oh, not yeah. only does he interact with Shia way more, he gets way more time to work with Shia LaBeouf, but he's just also has more range. And I'm not saying that I'm not saying that well, uh, I mean, Lucas's not- head just doesn't have range. I'm saying his character is kind of in the recovery stage. I I think it comes back to the whole point is is the film takes place like the main story and character arc takes place in the mo- the present day. Yeah. And of course the whole thing is that you have PTSD and Noah Jupe and younger Otis's storyline is where all the inciting incidences mm-hmm. and the post traumatic stress is originating. Right, yeah. So everything that Lucas Hedges has done is a result of that storyline, which is obviously why we feel like that half of the story is more important because it essentially leads yeah, us to where we fe- are now. It's feeding into the explanation of, you're right, the present day, what's yeah. happening there and, and why his character is, has PTSD mm. and is the way he is in that regard. It's really interesting because it's like the film in particular, it starts with Hed- like Lucas Hedges older Otis and finishes with him but that's uh, a good point yeah and it has a good you know five to ten minute segment with on both ends of the film with just with Hedges' stuff mm. and yet we focus you know we still walk away and we feel like we watched more of the younger than the older in the end so I think there's probably more screen time if I were to like count yeah but I think you're right I mean they're, they're both sort of equally important in that way because yeah you're getting the story with him and his father and, and, and the relationship there and, and even just like the physical relationship of who relies on whom. And I think performance specifically is, is a big part of the front. But then mm-hmm. again, uh, Lucas Hedges plays with that as well in terms of, you know, the people he's with in the rehab saying, Oh, well, are you just acting? Are you being genuine with what you're saying mm-hmm. to me? Like there's a lot of that on the surface, but I think that's also really smartly addressed in the other timeline yeah, the clown makeup, and then uh, we just kept, we just kept quoting Joker the, the whole movie every time Shia LaBeouf's in the costume. I think I think but the yeah. script. I mean, we come back to uh, Shia is both acting and he was the writer on this uh, yeah. on this film, and I actually like that in the sense that he didn't direct it. Yeah, yeah, I like that. Uh, often actors are very quick to jump on the directing train rather mm. than the writing train. Often they actually get a lot of help with the writing, whereas yeah, he very much yeah. wanted his dialogue to be written the way that obviously. It, mm. I mean, this is meant to be a huge re- reflective piece of his upbringing and sort of uh, the damage that has become relatively public knowledge with Shia LaBeouf as he's... Yeah, very, especially now how open he is about that relationship and how mm. sort of crazy he's, he's been yeah. in parts, yeah. I mean, he, I mean, there was a stage where he was memeable. Let's, let's not dispute that. Can we say that I used that meme in my graduation speech at high school? Yeah, we'll see. We'll, uh, <laughs> Just Very thrusted into that sort of limelight, that yeah. negative limelight. And I think that... Um, it was good that he didn't try and overdo it in this film. Yeah, I mean, if he wrote, directed, and acted in it, you could be very much pushing more to. I mean, you look at people like I'm going to bring it up, Bradley Cooper, mm. who you know, for a Star Is Born, yeah, for a Star Is Born, and it's like I don't think <laughs> off the top of my head he wrote anything to do with that, but he also I think he co-wrote it. I mean, but he, it's an adaption of a three other films. So. Three other films, and he chucked a sook that he wasn't getting recognised for being a 
right, standout the, the, director. Yeah, he was getting more Oscars. notice in the acting categories and direction, which you're right. If you're going to complain about that, then just don't act in it. Yeah. And yeah. I think it comes back to it's like certain um, directors, like actor-directors... It works. Like Clint Eastwood's a really good example of someone who's been honing that craft for, yeah. you know, a very long time. And I think I think between the two of us, he's hit or miss with yeah. directing acting. Yeah. Like you don't like the Mule. Um, I think he's brilliant in Gran Torino. So it hits and miss if we're gonna go off that. Yeah, and I think it was really good that Shy very much was like, all right, I'm gonna leave the direction because he didn't want to probably get too possessive on particularly the child acting yes i agree with that um because obviously if he was really with child actors i mean there's some great interviews with like tucker watiti talking about how he communicates to kids kids and stuff yeah and you know that's something that it's like if you force a kid to act too many ways they fall into the roboticness way easier than an adult does yeah I think what Shire does by not directing this, because mm-hmm. you're right, it could be he, the kid's playing him, mm-hmm. so it would be very easy even to be pedantic and over direct mm-hmm. this kid, but by only playing his father, he he can only focus on being his father. Yeah. So he doesn't have time to direct Whereas himself. As he's the kid. written yeah. the kid as he would speak, and that was enough for him to be like to let That's it go. An, yeah, exactly. Yeah. There was a. It was a creative compromise mm. that I feel like that definitely happened. I really happened. appreciate that, yeah. And I think it does work in the film's benefit because, and there are some very meta scenes in this film where it feels like, for example, when Noah Jupe's character, the young Otis, is making fun and mocking his dad. And it's sort of mm. like self-aware because, of course, that's exactly what Shy is doing with his dad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, he's playing his dad. So it's the ultimate mockery, really. And then, of course, I mean... Before we jump into spoilers, there's some other sort of meta commentary going on with this film. Yeah, there's in the latter stages. I, for sure. I I wouldn't consider it a spoiler to say that um, because Shia has been very open about how he wrote this film while in rehab, and it was actually part of his rehab mm-hmm. to write this story. And there are scenes in here where you can see uh, Lucas Hedges writing out the dialogue mm-hmm. that it's currently cutting in between when he was younger. Yeah. So that you're right, there is this meta sort of approach to how the film's been done. Um, I think, uh, do you have anything you want to add before we jump into spoilers? Um, I'm happy to just jump into spoilers because I think, yeah, we're going to talk a bit about plot and character specifically. Yeah. So um, let's jump into spoilers, everybody. Okay. Spoiler warning. Uh, go watch this film. Watch this do, film. Do our method if you're poor. Yeah, get a girlfriend. No, they can do the 30-day free trial. Oh, that's true. Yeah, just get the thirty day, yeah, thirty day free trial for Amazon. Amazon. Um, you might still have to pay for the VPN though. I guess. Although technically, I've gotten a VPN and then gotten out of it for free. Yeah, you can. It's a bit of a pain in the ass, but you yeah. can do it. Nord VPN, you can pay for three years and it's like nothing. Yeah, you pay like nothing for VPN services. So they they honestly, I know mean, I've I've said this multiple weeks on the show. Just get one. They really do. Mm. They're real handy to have. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think if I didn't you know, benefit, I would definitely get one myself. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, no, definitely try the 30-day free trial, and then on that 30 days, try and maximise your right. watch time with things like this and the report yeah. and stuff like that. Or if it's too complicated, just go to a movie theatre. Yeah, yeah. It's in the, yeah, <laughs> if you don't have the patience for it, yeah. For sure. Which um, I definitely don't, so there's that. No, that's true. Um, obviously, <laughs> this film, like I said, it starts with Lucas Hedges' 
older Otis, the 22-year-old yes, Otis. Yes, Savage 20. We're both 22 as well. Yes. That's trippy. Um, in 2005. Yes. So... Like a little slate reveal. Um, yeah, which is really clever. Yeah. The, the, they do a slate sort of... I always like oh. in-world year things. Oh, you know how I kept comparing it to BoJack because they do it with their radios mm-hmm. and stuff and their time travel? The movie I was thinking of was School of Rock. The title of School of Rock is uh, done within the world as part of the production design. Yeah, I mean, I've always liked so. production design titles. Yeah. Um, we did, we it did it with Faces. Yeah, we did it with, we faces. Did with faces. There you um, go. Yeah. Don't do it with... I don't think I did it with any other film. I think that's the only... No. Fa- yeah, because... Well, Faces makes sense because you have the poster and it is sort of that showmanship yeah. aspect to it. But, yeah. Um, um, might have done Everything with- else, we just hard cut to black. <laughs> that's our favourite little technique. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. I'd do the hard cut to black title <laughs> card one instead. The Lon L cuts and J cuts. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, no, I really like those in world title ones. That was really clever, and he, and it's showing that he's in front and he's doing a stunt where he gets yanked back, um, and then it sort of does this weird <laughs> Sorry, uh, <laughs> montage of sort of real and fake world. So yeah, his life yeah. offset, and then he's like onset, but it kind of becomes to that point where it is much like an alcoholic bender sort of a very confusing mess of time where you don't really know when he's on set mm. and when he's out in public and when he's particularly it leads to obviously that car accident and it's, this is I grew props to the editing in this because it was really yeah, well yeah. mixed and it like all made sense and it sort of makes you wonder when he's in that car accident is it a stunt car yeah, accident are they going to slap the clap or slap the slate and be like oh, that next scene sort of thing. you're wondering yeah. you're right and then because you whisper that to me too, you're like, yeah. oh, but is it real? And I, I think what I love especially is like, if you go back and watch it frame by frame or shot by shot, mm-hmm. you could sort of tell that there are certain shots that you can see them shooting it in within the mise en scene of the shot when he's getting pushed against the cop car. Mm-hmm. But then it's almost an identical shot when it happens in real life, but just the camera's gone. Yeah. And I thought that was very clever because that... Even you might not notice it the first time you watch it, it it gets in your brain and it adds to this feeling yeah. of, oh, is this real? Is this a shot? See, I love that montage today. It's not quite my highlight scene, but it's up there, so I'm glad yeah, you brought it up. It's a real clever right sort of setup for, like, it's a lot of, like, no, there's no dialogue, but you, mm. you can understand the mindset of the modern-day character. And, I mean, you pointed this out two-thirds of the way, and you really enjoyed the fact that there isn't, probably post the opening scene... There isn't a lot of callbacks to on-set activity. Yes, I and showing think the cinematic apparatus. I noticed that I said it to you when it was weird being off-set for a very long time, and it cuts back to to Otis on set. Mm-hmm. I was like, man, there's there's very few scenes where we're actually on set, and I'm always anxious when I see a film that's too heavy on its own, like self-reflective filmic stories and it's you know when i watch something like dolomite or the room i'm always like are they going to do this right because it's easy to get that wrong i feel like oh you mean disaster artists oh yeah disaster artists i guess as well um did i say the room yeah oh sorry well yeah disaster artists or even ed wood or those kind of films where they're too like oh they could do this wrong it could be too up its own ass but i loved how little it was because what i realized is it's not focused on really the hollywood storyline it's Mm. more focused on the performance storyline that these characters are doing a performance whether it's on set or offset with their family yeah you know or to their friends or in the rehab center like well he really wants to iron him the fact where he doesn't know when he should be acting and when he should be a person yeah absolutely um and that is sort of a 
that is technically his post-traumatic stress, I feel like, with his father is, mm. is because his father was always putting on this weird sort of character. He was always so grandiose and and all of his movements were always very dramatic and over the top and grand and every gesture he did and every action he did was always very over the top kind yeah. of uh, comes back to the he's probably his clowning sort of roots yeah you know? exactly and um because i i remember thinking like what's with the chickens and i forgot I'm like oh wait that was part of the ad that the well, dad that was did. his act yeah, yeah. As, as the clown um, but you're right, in terms of the way he moves around, it does feel very performative, and you're right, it is a bit over the top. Mm. And even, like, the jokes he makes, like, he makes these off-coloured, mm. really racist jokes, or he makes a joke about the Ford, like, yeah. meaning not Henry Ford. It's like, oh, found dead on road or whatever. I can't yeah. remember the abbreviation, but he makes these, like, you know, jokes that don't really quite fit mm-hmm. the scene or what's going on. Um, but again, I think you're right, it all kind of plays back to this one thing he did as as the clown this one yeah and i've i've looked it up and and shia labeouf's father in real life was sort of a clown mime performer and he was a sex offender in real life and there was another one i wrote in here but you know like all of these sort of things about the character is exactly what shia labeouf's dad was so it translates pretty directly in that regard yeah and i i don't think he's written this thing and kind of pushed too much of a... It could be very easy for someone to write something so close to home and make themselves, paint themselves like way more of a, a good pre- guy. Yeah, pretty yeah. picture, that kind of thing. But I think particularly not... I mean, obviously, the Noah Dupe stuff is definitely more like this... Like, this is the kid that's going to lead into the the young adult. Yeah. But the young adult version, um, without a doubt, he's he's pretty broken fundamentally mm. and, and not very likeable, and yeah, I mean, no, sympathetic. He's, just, he's so you, angry all the time. Yeah, You're right. It's it's yeah, hard to get behind him. I do play so many angry characters too. Um, Lucas, had, like all these yeah, characters, yeah. feel very like. Well, he's in um, he's in Free Billboards as well. He's in a lot of Anderson stuff. I think he's in Budapest Hotel, I believe. Okay. Um, I had it written earlier. I got rid of it, but he's in a lot of stuff. Oh, he's in um, uh, Manchester by the Sea. He's mm. excellent in that. Um, I don't remember him being angry in that film, but he definitely did show this sort of... Moonrise Kingdom. Moonrise Kingdom, that's the other Anderson film. Okay. And Lady Bird. Oh, yeah, he's in Lady Bird. Oh, he plays the gay boy, the gay guy. That's right. Or the closet gay character. Right, that's right, yeah. Uh, I I mean, you've seen Lady Bird more recently than I have. Yeah, only a couple weeks ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. But um, No, he definitely has that range there. And, And in this film, you're right, he plays as such an angry... Like I, like the scene when he slams, he he's saying he's like, oh man, like when he screams in the woods, and he's like, oh man, you know, that felt really great, you know, it was so awesome, and he, the guy can't tell if he's mocking him or not, but then he closed, he slams the door shut, and he walks out. He's like, hey, how do we close doors? And he still has that sort of, oh, well, you push with, you pull with one arm, you push with the other. Mm-hmm. He has that capability, that knowledge, but he's just fundamentally very angry and moves around, and it kind of is like his father in that regard. Yeah, exactly. Very yeah. mirror image, even like. He, when um, we see the 12 year old version of Otis, he's trying to smoke to literally mirror his father when he goes for a smoke. Yeah, there's a lot of mirroring scenes. Yeah, yeah. Mm. But um, I just thought that was quite fascinating. That sort of performance mirror angle that we bring mm-hmm. up. But yeah. Um, yeah, the, I'm just looking at the, PTA, the PTSD. I think it's well shown. Yeah, because obviously when we when we first introduced, he's like, "Oh, from what? What gave me that?" So, from him, we're starting from a point where he 
isn't even thinking about his father. He's in the, the yeah. back end of the brain. He's not and acknowledging then, it's even a real thing. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then, of course, it uh, you know it slowly leads in the story back in 1995 where they do that. Once again, they do another one of those slated sort of date timeline things and we lead into yeah. that sort of storyline and slowly we understand the dynamic of their relationship, why, um, you know, his Otis's father can't get a job outside of being his mm. manager. Yep. How, because of his, his, you know, sex offender past and his, like, drug drug offences <laughs> and just Isn't cumulatively, it? like, all of the shit. It's, yeah. yeah, it's put him in the spot where he has to rely on his son mm-hmm. sort of emotionally, financially especially, and that's brought up in, I won't talk about my highlight scene yet, but it is brought up in my highlight scene, the idea that he has to live off his son. Yeah. And there's almost... You know, we are in spoilers now. So it's when the part when he's on the, the toilet and he starts crying at that realization where his son, he said, his son says to his face, and I can imagine like as a father having your son tell you like you wouldn't be here if I didn't pay you. That's yeah. the line. He starts bowling. I was like, man, that's a that's a tough one. <laughs> yeah, and it's, and because the... there's an element of truth to it. Yeah, I, I the the one thing with with the character that Shia LaBeouf plays is he never in my, I I just can't garner sympathy for his character. Mm. I think he's just one of those, like he's one of those characters that's just irredeemable. I feel sorry for the kid all the time. Right. Yeah. And always rooting for Otis to succeed throughout the whole film. And even his older self, that's very angry and frustrated. There's at least we, we uh, as the audience are seeing the reason why. Mm. Whereas, if anything, the character that Shia LaBeouf plays is is just kind of pathetic, particularly in he's scenes definitely like pathetic, pathetic. Yeah, yeah. Like he's sort of like you don't really. He doesn't earn a redemption arc in this story. I don't think. Um, yeah, which but will never bring me that... into the last scene. Okay, because because I just don't feel like we're supposed to. He he doesn't deserve redemption. Right. For the way he acts and the way he uses and exploits his kid, and the way his kid is constantly doing what kids do, yeah, in those situations, they still just want their, you know, their parent to love them and to look after them. But the reality is, it's, it's yeah, exactly. I just think him as a as a character, he's mm-hmm. for the most part irredeemable. You see, I might, I don't want to sound stupid for saying this, mm-hmm. but it's I got to be authentic with how I was feeling watching this film. I never felt um, young Otis, 12-year-old Otis, I never actually felt like he was in any genuine danger with the father. And that might be part of the reason why I'm a little bit softer on him because I imagine Shia LaBeouf wanting to write his dad as the biggest piece of shit. And he does write him as this pathetic sort of guy who has to lean on his son and it's always that thing where it's always Otis's fault. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if someone drops their glasses, it's Otis's fault, you know. Um, but I never... I always felt like that relationship, it did sort of express this complexity where I did think at times, why did you just leave? And I think, I think, you know, having him run around like shirtless and stuff like that kind of, you get that nineties vibe of a kid, which it is 95. I I think he's just, I mean, at the end of the day, it always comes back to the, you're trying to find that root of, of of a victim Mm. and it's just denial. It's what a lot of domestic abuse situations center around is one party doing it and then the other party denying it because mm. of for fear of what the other person would do. 
And in those latter scenes where Otis actually goes, yeah, you wouldn't be here if it wasn't, you know, I, I would pay you, yeah. Um, and the way uh, Shia LaBeouf's character acts out in that scene is is deplorable. And I, I just think the reality is Otis's character constantly makes allowances for his dad simply because he's his dad. And yeah. that's sort of the... I know that's the, the compromises we make with family. We make irrational compromises. I think you're right, though, yeah. Um, Like, there are scenes where it's like, you know, the dad's not picking up Otis and there's a stage manager who's like, oh... Yeah, where's your dad? Yeah, And yeah. he's like, oh, he's coming. He's like, oh, I haven't seen him on set today. And he's no, like, he's constantly, here, he's, he's here, fine. Yeah. Um, and it even goes back to when he says the dad, he's like, oh, your mum thinks I'm a shit dad or everyone here thinks I'm a shit dad. And he says, he's like, no one thinks that, dad. And there's an authenticity to what he says. He generally, I think you're right. It's just his dad. Yeah, it's and the he accommodations you make. There, yeah. And there are rational accommodations, but they're still like accommodations nonetheless. And I just think that he never, particularly when I look, think back on the ending, and there's this weird sort of. I'm going to talk about the ending here because I think yeah, upon upon uh, digestion, I'm not sure I enjoy the ending. I feel like it does take place in. It, we are constantly reminded of these dreams that the older Otis, the 22-year-old Otis, right, is having. because he's having nightmares and stuff. Yeah, mostly they're nightmares and mostly they're just, fe- they're just dream-like sequences of being back in the sort of the shady motel home mm. region. And in the last scene, he meets uh, the clown version of Shia LaBeouf, yep. which, you know, he was a clown years before Otis was even born. Um and so obviously you as the audience you're pretty aware that this is a dream sequence but it's a weird sort of forgive and it also has a very meta commentary because of their yep. conversation while they have their feet in the pool where he's like oh I'm gonna I'm run a movie, a movie about, about, you. about you yeah which obviously is literally like you said this is a and movie that was written in rehab by Shia LaBeouf about all yeah. of this so. and and this convers as much as the film pegs it to be his fantasy this is a real life conversation I think it's the um, Hollywood Reporter Roundtable, Shia LaBeouf talks about, in, it's the acting one, he talks about having this conversation with his dad seven years after not seeing him. So this conversation is real in real life, but the film doesn't really... Yeah, we, we, we should always real. try and keep it in the confines of, of the film yeah, itself. Yeah. And narratively, I think the person in the film that Shia LaBeouf plays doesn't deserve the f- sort of forgiveness and... I know it's all in a dream right. sequence. Based so on what you've a... seen, you don't buy the acceptance. No. Okay. Um, and I know it's dream, so it's obviously you got to put in like, oh, it's a fiction art. Like it's almost like the way he wished it was mm. um, for both Shia LaBeouf, the writer, and obviously the character of Otis wishes that he could just be like, oh, I'm making this film, and all the all the, all the father character says, oh, just make me look good. Make me look good. <laughs> Um, while he's covered in clown makeup. That is a response, make. though, from that character. That's but... a very father response, yeah, too. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, after all that stuff. And then, of course, it leads to them, him now driving him off on the motorcycle. Right. Rather than the other way around. And it's, it, it is left on, I think, more a positive note than needed. Gotcha. I think... Look, I'm I'm in agreement with that because I did write notes about being a little conflicted about the ending, mm-hmm. not necessarily about that aspect. I think I agree, you know, piece of shit dad, and I I think the only way that ending sort of works is because like, well, Shia LaBeouf did 
find a way to forgive him in real life. And even though it might not be sold so well in the script for you, mm-hmm. um, I guess that sort of bogs it down for me. My issue is, to, I guess, specifically just having that be the final moment of, like, oh, I'm going to make a film about you, I'll make me look good. It's a nice nifty moment for a nanny, but mm-hmm. I would have liked to have seen it kind of go a different way. And I'm not just talking about the endings. I'm, I just mean, I guess... Is this a Howard Jakes fix? No, it's thing? not, because I don't know how I would fix it. But... Uh, <laughs> but Get the jingle at the ready. <laughs> Hollywood can make films sometimes. Da, 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 da. That's my shitty jingle. No, but I think with the ending, I liked it. I, I think I'm more curious what a different approach would have been, but I'm not necessarily angry about how the film ends in that regard. Yeah, that's fair. But yeah, I want to talk a bit about Tom. So I was a little confused at first, Tom's relationship to Otis. At first I thought he was a guy who just works on set. And he's, mm-hmm. oh, I'll take you to the basketball game. And then he meets the father and gets thrown in the pool. But I think he mentioned in there about a Big Brother program. So I yeah, think that's what that was. I think it's to look after him. In it's sort of a program that I'm pretty sure is for in that exact situation when you have a perennial figure that's a little uh, shifty or like right, suspect okay. that they want to make sure that the the, the yeah, child. Yeah, well, he would be on record as a, as a sex offender, so exactly he might have just been put on the list to have a big brother sort of. Exactly. Figure. So their job sense. is to make sure that the kids' needs are served and make sure that they're best interested and yeah. they're all taken care of, essentially. Yeah, yeah. And I'll, I'll, I, I'll, hmm? That they have a big brother figure. Yeah, exactly. And I like... I don't think... No, I was going to say, it's not that he doesn't show... He doesn't show up on camera in the rest of the film. He does... On the phone, he says, like, oh, I can help you fly across despite your, you know, being a sex offender. The job that he was in, he was able to... and he still refused to fly mm-hmm. over because, and again, it's the reason why he froze him in the pool in the first place. I think it's interesting to see how fragile he is to Otis having a father figure. That's just not him. Yeah. And even just the way they're dressed. I like that. He's in the, I don't think he's in, you can't see if he's in sandals. I'm guessing he's in sandals. Mm-hmm. Maybe he's got the shorts and the bandana. And then Tom is in, he's got the leather jacket. He's got the cool thick hair sort yeah. of thing. So it looks of, like the cool dad. Yeah, the cool dad, blue jeans sort of thing. Yeah. I'm, I'm guessing he's like very fit under all those clothes, you know. Mm-hmm. It's just, you're right. And I thought that was a cool little clever production design element. Yeah. Um, I think the production, some of the, the cinematography is really nice in this too. It's very, mm. their use of that, they really wanted to emphasize that sort of warm color palette, very orange base. Yeah, you were mentioning that when watching it. Um and I really enjoyed that and some really beautiful sort of sequences. Some really good production design too. Mm. I really like the use of sort of the motorhome has its own very unique characterization. Yeah. I love that it even is. That's where they live. Yeah. Despite his son being an actor, that's still yeah. where they've landed. I kind of like that detail. And juxtaposition between that and then sort of the more sterile, clean uh, rehab center. Yeah, it's a really good. Yeah, the nice pool but then, yeah, and the both, woods and everything. Both yeah. his modern, like his twenty-two-year-old bed is still next to someone. I like that he's like, oh, he's yeah, always, he's like, still kind of a bunkmate, essentially. Yeah, like, exactly. Yeah, that's a good little. Yeah, notice nice little parallel. I mean, there's a lot it's of. Mi- I think there's meant to be a lot of meant to be a lot of mirrors that it feels like he can't escape. There definitely feels like a lack of it. He has someone else now dictating his life on top of like a. Like he doesn't feel like he's like he's twenty two, but he doesn't like act like a twenty a grown yeah, up. Yeah, I was thinking that when I because we made the connection 
because obviously the years are told in the film. So within the world of the film, you can mm. figure out that he's 22. I don't think either of us realized he was 22 no. until we did the math in our head because we, we would know what 22-year-olds act and feel like. And to, yeah. This is 2005, to be fair. I mean, this is but Hollywood, he's, but... Yeah, he's in, a, he's in a different sort of upbringing situation. But Definitely, yeah, essentially, yeah. there are certain expectations of, of a 22-year-old and you can't get much more relatable than two people that are 22 watching <laughs> how a 22-year-old should be acting. Yeah, we, we totally related to Otis, his drinking habits and stuff. Yeah. No. <laughs> um, yeah, so do you have anything more you'd like to add before you jump into um, a highlight scene? I'm just or? seeing what I desperately want to get out there into That's chill. Into the, the sphere, if you will. Um, well, I mentioned earlier how I love... Uh, what's it called? I love the direction and the writing and specific elements of this. So I guess some of this will sort of lead into the highlight scenes, I suppose. But um, so it's uh, uh, Alma Hanel. Is that the I'd name of the director? Hanel, yeah. yeah. Um, one of the moments of direction I, I, I love, and I think her direction is excellent. That goes into the slates reading the, the year because there's a good chance the script might have just said title, 1995. Oh, for sure. So it's a good chance that it could have been her over Charlotte that There's some really decision. good stylistic decisions that she's mm. put in this that really give it its own character, and that's what I really enjoy. Yeah. Um, I think you have to give it a lot of the dialogue props, obviously, the Shire's writing, but when it comes mm. to anything to do with, like I said, the child's direction, probably everyone's direction bar Shia Buffs, I don't imagine she would have had too much of a hand, maybe, in... Shire's like yeah, the I way imagine he, he knew what he was going for himself. In yeah, maybe to rein it in occasionally, potentially, but I feel like it would definitely been like, look, you take all of this, I'll work on me. Yeah. And then you take the wheel on all the other stuff. And I, then... I love as well one of the earlier shots when they're in the laundry room. And this is like an extended, maybe like a 10 minute scene of them just talking and walking back mm. between the, the house and the neighbors and then the laundry room. But I love how that you get that extended one, or it's probably about a two minute shot. And you have that, I pointed out to you, they have that sort of clothesline hanger thing in the middle. That kind of looks like a pole, but then as they sort of press into it and they sort of start to creep in on their own boundaries, you see it kind of twist and turn. <laughs> you actually see, oh, it's a bit more of a, a towel hanger or something like that. But I just, I love the the length of that shot as well. And It's a really cool scene. Yeah. I, I, I really Stylistically, like it. Stylistically, it just has a really nice sort of Yeah. Even, you're right, the color hue, because that goes into the orange again when they mm-hmm. walk back out into the sun, which is a very Hollywood-esque yeah. color, I suppose. And the moment of... Uh, it's a good juxtaposition, though, between warm and cools. Like, she uses, like, they've almost using, like, the whoever the DOP was, who I'll double-check that one quickly. Yeah, check who the They use some really was. nice turquoise and pinks, too, and ladder scenes, which I really like. Okay. Yeah, they're definitely a, a strong... Wide range color palette, saturated color palette though. It mm. felt like a lot of the time didn't feel like there was a lot of desaturation. Maybe potentially in the rehab scenes, occasionally. Definitely on on the sets, there would be very saturated, vibrant colors. I imagine. Yeah. So I like, distinguish the sets and sort of their. So Natasha mm. Breyer did okay. the cinematography. Very nice. Um. She, oh, okay. Well, that makes more sense now. She was the cinematographer on The Rover, which was a David Mitchard mm. uh, film. So the guy who did uh, Animal Kingdom. Oh, there you go. Um, that just broke my leg. And stars uh, Guy Pearce and Robert Patterson. It's an Australian film. Nice, very nice. So maybe she's an Australian cinematographer. Yeah, I, I definitely love the cinematography in this film. It's it's not showy. Like, it's not, you know, 1917 going to win an Oscar sort of showcase, but mm-hmm. it definitely works for the purposes of what 
they're going for and it's a nice color palette um the moment the specific moment of writing and it's it's shocking that this isn't even my highlight scene but the moment i was really blown away by what shire's script was forcing uh otis to do and specifically uh noah to do was when they're arguing over the phone otis is on the phone to his mother and his mother's trying to talk to to james or his, or the father and then he keeps sort of shouting back but he refuses to go on the phone mm-hmm. and what they start doing and i love that the mum's the one who kind of initiates this is she gets otis to start essentially repeating and doing a voice to replicate his own mum and then he start you mentioned it earlier he starts doing his dad's voice yeah. replicating it back on the phone and just that first off like from a performance standpoint it's so excellent and his like voices are really like on point. Oh, yeah. But even just the idea of him being tossed around between his parents' feud, you know, and he's he's the literal middle ground. It always is the child. The child's always the middle ground in the divorce or a discrepancy with parents. But just the literal placement of him and what he's doing with the voice acting, eventually he just runs out of the house. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that was a beautiful moment of writing in particular. It's well-directed as well. Kind of camera doesn't... Not a lot of cutaways, but um, just the way they organically built to that moment of characterization. I was like, that is... It's definitely paced really well. Yeah. Genius. I mean, yeah. that is genius. I mean, this from excellently... Written. Is that your highlight scene? Uh, that is not my highlight scene, actually, but... Uh, which is shocking. I know. But I'll bounce it to you. You give me your highlight scene in detail. Oh. Um, that one's definitely up there. Um, I really liked that scene where he's, like, making a mockery of him. But it's got to be... Um, I really like... It's kind of two scenes, but they are tied together. Okay, and so it probably it's an leads. extended scene. Um, I love the performance that the young Otis gives. Um, Noah Jupes, is yep. it? Yeah. Um, Noah Jupes gives. And it's on the set of a show, and it's to a father figure character, and it feels like, I think it's a comedy. It comes off like a comedy. He's all decked out in, like, pimp gear with a butler, Right, um, yeah, 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 yeah. And, but it ends up leading to a very heartwarming bit where uh, the dad's not leaving him, and it's sort of, he starts to break, you can, like, him as a child, because mm. obviously he hasn't really perfected the art of separating the two worlds quite yet. Well, it's too close to home at that it's point. It's just a little too close to home, and it yeah. starts to crack, and he starts to emotionally break, to the point where the uh, father actor on set literally goes, uh, oh, what was, what's up with you? You're yeah. right. I thought that was a dumb thing for him to... Uh, I, I get what they're trying to do, but it's like, you're an actor doing a scene with this kid. I guess he's not meant to get emotional in the scene. Maybe not that emotional. Yeah, okay. I, no, I take and that back. I definitely the post scene, and then it's sort of like, he doesn't... He could be just an actor there for one or two. It could just be a one-episode thing, or it yeah, could be exactly. like, you know... That There's, was such a spike in set, by the way. I said that to you. Yeah. Um, and, but then the so follow-up <laughs> scene is uh, the young Otis watching his father watch that episode on the TV. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Waiting for that sort of, like, moment that he can, like, see how his son's feeling and mm. how ostracized he feels from that sort of emotional father figure and just him not giving anything. Yeah. And he's sort of just half heartedly watching it. And then as soon as that scene finishes and he's sort of moved in on the room, it looks like he's about to fall asleep. And mm. then that leads into a big fallout scene. But Even visually, that image of him watching the star version of his son on TV, the yeah. performance version over the real one that's begging for his help mm. on the other side of him. That's just, yeah, that visual sort of 
juxtaposition. Uh, real that's good, a real good scene, like yeah. setup payoff. And then it leads into a really confrontatious mm. scene. Well, I'll do you one even better because those are two scenes back to back. My highlight scene is the scene that leads into those two scenes. Ah, Fair ah, play. Ah. So this is the scene. I'm, I might have to explain this a little bit because it is sort of wedged in there with the rest of the film. It's the, so it's the scene when um, Otis is just being pulled off upset and it cuts back to him and James or his father in the, in the I want to call it, it is a hotel, I guess. It is sort of yeah, a hotel. It's a motel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, they're starting to rehearse for the next day of scenes, and he's he's doing his uh he's he's doing the push-ups to get his heart rate going, and again yeah. that sort of speaks to the his father. Like, oh, you don't need to do that, you know. You, you you've got the scene. You don't need to do the heartbeat while the the son wants the more authentic thing. And there's a great like five seconds in there where they're actually like acting together, or they're reading, they're bumping lines mm. of each other, and then the neighbors being just a little bit too loud causes that whole sort of friction to come back and I love that the the fact that James is more uh, or Shia LaBeouf he's the one that's more concerned about the performance and getting it right over Otis who's the actual actor mm-hmm. in this case um, and then even within the scene when they start arguing that's when it's brought up the money situation when there is a power shift even for just a minute because mm-hmm. Shia LaBeouf still has the physical violence sort of card in his sleeve that he can... That's sort of the... It's sort of the reverse of age too because often it's like that's... The kid's response would be to be violent and throw a tantrum mm, yeah. and exert try and exert power over using physical force rather than logic. Exactly. So the fact that they do that sort of age swap where it's like, well, I have the money in the job. What do you yeah. provide It's a maturity us? thing, absolutely. Yeah, and of course his solution, Shia LaBeouf, or... James's solution is just to hit him. Yeah. And act out. <laughs> Multiple times. Yeah. Nah, it definitely... I thought that scene... I, I mean, I whispered it to you and when we were watching. I said storm this, off. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then it leads right into the scene you just talked about. Spy Kids. Yeah. <laughs> I'm calling it the Spy Kids scene. That's okay. me. That's fair. But, um, yeah. And I, I, so I just want to point out, if you... When they're playing cards... I think it's before any of these scenes. Mm-hmm. When they're playing cards and he, he's like, oh, I could see your cards in the mirror... On the mirror, there's little fan letters from kids uh, sending fan letters to Otis, like little crown drawings from like, oh, really? oh my name is Sarah, I'm a big fan. Yeah, and I'm like that's so cute. That's that a little, nice little detail there. He's but, cute. Uh, he's a cute kid. He's he a, is cute. a cute kid. If I were a little girl, I would send him fan letters. Yeah, yeah. I can't wait for him to be in one of those angsty teen films in a few years. Oh, whatever right. the next yeah, like yeah. Maggie's Runner or Hunger Games or whatever. It'll be Lady Eagle. What's Male that? bird. I don't What's know. That? What is that? I'm just oh. trying to rip off these other... He looks like a Wes Anderson sort of kid. Like, he'd be in a Wes Anderson... I'm shocked he's not in it yet. Oh. Matter of time. And I'm shocked Florence Pugh's not in the, the French Dispatch. A little annoyed by that, actually. I imagine it was cast before then. I Plus, everyone I likes Timothy Chalamet, so, you know. <laughs> That's yeah. true. Yeah, we need, we, need, we need them to... The Chalamet specific. Express, basically. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no like worries. It. Well, Honey Boy is currently out in cinemas... And on streaming, various streaming services in and around the world. Yeah. Check it go. out. It's Check We it recommend out, it. That's nah, a good one. It's yeah. a good film. We liked it. Exactly. Like. Well, moving on, Jake, what is new in cinemas this week? There's uh, quite a lot. I'm going to spit these out. Okay. Because there's a lot of... What's well, interesting. All right. I feel like I've already read this logline on the show. I don't know why. Okay. I'm just going to say it again. Honeyland is a documentary portrait of a female beekeeper... In a remote uh, Macedonian countryside is winner of the Sundance Grand Jury Prize for World Cinema Documentary. Did we watch that? We've both seen this film. Yeah. 
I feel like you have said that before. I know, that's the thing, but apparently it's only coming to Luna now. That makes sense. I don't think it would have been... Yeah, we both caught it before the um the Oscar Where run. Where did you catch it? I can't. I know you caught it on a plane. Yeah? I did catch it on a plane. Because yeah. I I thought I saw it at Luna too, but then that's for Sama. Hmm. I'm blanking out. No I have seen this film though. We've talked about it on this podcast. Yeah, we talked about it. In, like, I have to find out if there was like some other service or something. Maybe event had it or something. Maybe I'm I'm gonna double check. But um anyway, that's at Luna from March fifth. It didn't win anything. Uh, it was up for Best International and Feature Doco. and Best Doco. And I don't know how it was nominated for both and didn't win either. It could have easily won Doco. I'm it should have won Doco. That. Oh, yeah, because of Factory. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. American Factory. Yay. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> um, I, if, if they went for the better film of the year, I think that definitely was up there. Yeah. I think For Some is excellent too, but... Mm-hmm. Yeah, Honeyland, awesome film. Uh, Dark Waters follows Mark Ruffalo leading his exploité thriller, playing a real-life corporate defense attorney who took on the Dupont. 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 There's a T in there. Must be silent. Chemical company polluting the town's water supply. It was directed by Todd Haynes, who's done Carol in the past, and you can catch this at Luna on March fifth. I don't care. You don't care? At all for that. I've seen the trailer for uh, it. It just sort of looks like another one of those. Well, it's funny. It probably we were talking will about. Sit, it'll sit probably yeah. with the sort of post uh, report sort of right, sort of genre. Of, yeah. Well, we're talking about the report and, um, and uh, gosh, Michael. Po- post what? and spotlight. And po- spotlight is what I was looking for. Yeah. Uh, it feels like it'll sit in that sort of right, category right. of film. I, I think you're right. I'm, I, think, I'm, I don't mind. I'll watch it. I'm not sure I want to go pay to see it. Though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe I'll wait yeah. for it to come on a streaming service. It's like up it. there with Richard Jewell. I'm like, oh, I'll see it, but... Mm. Yeah, Richard Jewell's exactly the same. Yeah, yeah, it's up there. This one's interesting. So you can only catch this next one at event cinemas from this Thursday the 5th. The Way Back, which sees Ben Affleck play a widowed former basketball all-star struggling with addiction and attempting to make a comeback by becoming the coach of a high school team. I could see, I could see him playing a coach. I don't know if I could see him playing an all-star basketball player. Gonna, he's, um, he's white, <laughs> 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 and he's kind of chubby. He's I mean, not like an. Is athlete. he still ripped from Batman though? Or no, no. surely not. Yeah, I'm, he, he always looked like a daddy Batman too. Like. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not sure about that casting, but yeah, it's yeah. That sounds alright. I don't know. I'm very half and half on Ben Affleck movies, but. Yeah, I'm curious him in a role like that. Like, uh, yeah, it seems like a real nurturing role, and you always just think he's a bit of a douchebag in films. So I, as interest- much as I love Gone Girl, I can agree with you that he's just really well cast more than he's really good in the role, yeah. rather. Um, so, I don't know about that. Yeah, because he plays a despondent douche. He's <laughs> <laughs> a bit clueless, and he's like, what's going on? It's kind of Ben Affleck uh, in a nutshell. Downhill, which stars Will Ferrell and Julia Lewis-Dreyfus, and it is a black comedy following the events of Ski Slopes after a man's moment of cowardice in the face of an avalanche. You can catch early screenings of this at Luna on March 3rd, so that is tomorrow, Tuesday. That sounds interesting. Yeah, and I think the outdoor screenings from the days on. Have we talked about Will Ferrell ever on this podcast? Not recently, no. Have we ever, though? I feel like we brought up Anchorman at some point. Maybe. Yeah, I'm not a big... Me. I, I don't like him as a person. Oh, interesting. I've seen some stuff, and I don't know if it was just like to mess with me. You know what it was? It was the DVD bonus features for... uh, What was that one where it's like dinosaurs? 
Land of Time, Land of... Oh, yeah, yeah. Land of Time. Yeah, him. whichever yeah, one yeah. was that. That was him. He, I remember there were bonus features like around the set, and he was such a dick in it, and I couldn't tell if he, that was like him doing it or if it was actually him just being a dick. I think maybe because that film was kind of trash. That film is not very good. Um, I think <laughs> even certain as a child, actors in the, in the space of a bad movie will just turn into arseholes. I mean, we've worked like when you when actors lose interest, they they do become mm. progressively worse. That is true. Yeah. <laughs> Who <laughs> thought? <coughs> Jake just died. I'm sorry. Thought of yeah, I'm gone. Um, you have to pre-record the rest of the show with <laughs> the, all the noises that my dead body makes the in the next any five minutes. A couple more. So, okay. the big trip. This is going to be interesting. From the writer of Madagascar. It comes up with these titles. <laughs> <laughs> this animated adventure sees a stork mistakenly deliver a baby panda to the Rondor and a group of animals set about getting it to its rightful home. Now... I did a bit of research on this film because this film looks bad. This film looks, looks, looks like an animation that should have came out 20 years ago. Um, I like how they specify from the writer of Madagascar. There's four writers for Madagascar. <laughs> you know, the funny thing is I rewatched the first half of Madagascar, like probably close to the start of the year. I don't know what motivated it. I did, That did not hold up well. I did oh, not really? enjoy the writing at all. Oh, in that. Man. No, I... It Maybe was it was the other three writers. It was their fault. <laughs> it was just something about it that just felt kind of off. And the animation now obviously hasn't held up. I know it was 2004 right. or five, But I feel like that's that's not 100% true because I've, I've watched something about Disney Pixar from that time, that early days. Well, that would have been DreamWorks, I think. Yeah. Madagascar, yeah. But, like, Incredibles came out the same year Madagascar did, I'm pretty sure. Okay. And I can rewatch Incredibles easily. But, dude, the writing just isn't good. There's something about, like, the casting, and there's some really weird lines, and it's, like... It's just weird hearing Chris Rock in anything now. Uh, fair enough, yeah. I, I, I can't blame that. Well, if you did like the writing for Madagascar, if you if you took your 10-year-old child to watch Madagascar 15 years ago, you can take their grandchild to watch The Big Trip. Right. doesn't look good, guys. Uh, a couple it wouldn't more. be their grandchild, it would be your grandchild. Sorry, yeah, it would be. <laughs> if it was their grandchild, <laughs> it would be very... a long time since 2005. Undertow is about a photojournalist who is drawn into an obsessive relationship with a pregnant teenager. So this is a... Not what I thought that would be about. <laughs> it is an Australian psychological thriller. And the reason I mention this, I don't... No, you might be able to catch us at events this week, but if you live in the Melbourne area, you can catch a Q&A screening with writer, director, and act, uh, the main actress of the film at the Kino Cinemas this Thursday. So that's writer, director, uh, Marelda Nation, and actress Laura Gordon. I said that with like an accent, but that's certainly not an accent name. Marelda mm. Nation, but I said Marada. You put now, it with a big influence. I did, a big sort of emphasis there. Uh, another one that I'm saying I can't give you a date on this. Apparently, it's out in Australian cinemas, but I couldn't find a screening anywhere. So okay. keep an eye out for this film. Guns Akimbo sees Daniel Radcliffe finding himself awesome. in a crazy, violent death match, stylistically reminis- uh, reminiscent of Hardcore Henry. Dude, I saw the trailer. This looks like mad fun. This looks like the perfect Jack film. I'm so it excited. Did look like the per- he was so excited to see it. Apparently, it's um, out. So. Yeah. I would like to watch Hardcore Henry before I watch uh, that film. I think I'll okay. be open to seeing, out of all those ones you listed, that's probably the one I'd be most pro seeing because I could just 
go for another. If it's anything close to a John Wick esque film, I I could use a bit of right. senseless violence. <laughs> <laughs> and something about Daniel Radcliffe with these incredibly weird films he's done post Harry that Potter. I love so much. Yeah, like I mean, Swiss Army Man, and I remember before I watched Swiss Army Man, I watched Horns, which is that one. Oh, where you I still got to watch Horns. It gets weird. <laughs> I'm prone to seeing. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, he was a voice on the Playmobil movie. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> My film made more money than it per theatre. <laughs> oh, man. Poor uh, Playmobil movie. But none of those none of are what those. we're watching next week on the show. But, Jake, what are we actually watching? Well, it's been a while since we've done a director's corner, Zeke. This is true. So, uh, Or at least one we've recorded in the present, so yes. to speak. So, next week, we thought we'll take a little bit of a look at Steven Soderbergh's filmography, and we're going to watch a little film called Ocean's Eleven. It's never been done before. What's the target? When was the last time you were in Vegas? You want to knock over a casino. Three casinos? (laughs) Danny Ocean, a gangster, assembles a group of 11 people in an effort to steal money from three popular casinos in the Las Vegas region owned by his rival terry benedict it's a lot of people that is a lot of people people now um jokingly prior to this by accident i I read the uh, 1960s version and was very confused while they were all born in world war ii um that film did not get a good rating to rotten tomatoes but But the original one one. yeah the original which is weird because normally it's the opposite um like yeah they figured it out later on yeah, well, as Jake said prior, this is our latest director's corner. Steven Soderbergh That's has a one. pretty big catalogue of films. Never knew um, his name was Steven until today. There we go. Um, I'll be sure to... I've only seen I've only seen 11, so I'm going to try mm. and squeeze 12 and 13 in. Yeah, I'm gonna tr- I haven't seen any, so I'll we'll try and get all three of them in. But I've, I've seen some of his other films. I've seen Contagion. I've seen Logan Lucky, which I've actually talked about both on the show before. But Yeah, yeah be I really like Logan Lucky. Um, that's probably... Uh, and I did see Contagion this year. Um, yes. And I'm hoping to squeeze those in and Side Effects, which is another one of his Ooh, films. Um, but no worries. I'm looking it's forward to talking about him next week on the stuff. show. Thank you for joining us for the Cinema Side Show podcast. I was Zeke. I was Jack. And we'll catch you next week with Ocean's Eleven. <laughs> <laughs>